Hey, thanks for sharing, listeners. Before we begin this episode, Jackie and I wanted to invite you to join us at some events that we've, uh, we're going to be doing this year with uh, our friends at Worth Recovery. We've had Amy on the show a few times, um, and she, she's putting on some day-long intensives for women in recovery. Uh, she's calling it the Courage Conference. Our, the first one we'll be involved with is going to be in Salt Lake City on February 24th, 2018. Um, and it's going to be a day of learning how to dive into your story and find courage there. Jackie and I are going to be talking specifically about uh, finding courage in your own story, and we're going to be sharing more of our own stories. Uh, so we hope to see you there. And if you're not able to make the one in Salt Lake uh, through 2018, there's going to be three other courage conferences. Uh, there will be one in September in Seattle, Washington, and one at some point in Atlanta, and one at uh, Buffalo, New York. And Jackie and I are hoping to be at all of those. Um, so you can find out more about this on worthrecovery.com um, and look up the Courage Conference. Now, hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks for sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes store, the Google Play store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's path with an S. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Thanks for Sharing podcast. I'm Jackie P. This is John T. Today we are continuing our series talking about family of origin issues. Mm -hmm. And we talked in our last episode about the things that didn't happen but should have, Mm -hmm. right? Something to that effect. Today we're going to continue along those same lines, but we're going to be talking about the little T traumas. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about trauma, we may have referenced this before. There's big T trauma and there's little t trauma. Big t trauma, we usually don't forget that those things happen to us. Yeah, those things make history books. Yeah, although we can. You yeah. know, this happens sometimes with sexual abuse, mm-hmm. that it gets repressed in order for the person to function. But with big t trauma, typically there's something there for us to put our finger on. Yeah. Whereas with the little t trauma, sometimes those ones slide by and they don't really stand out from the background, so we're unaware of them. I think oftentimes those little T traumas are just enough of a variation from how it feels every day to notice like something's off, but not so much of a variation that's like, we have to address this. Mm -hmm. And as I was thinking about this episode um, this week, I think we've talked about this before on the podcast. I I was thinking about the people in London who were in the city during the Blitz Mm. and um, part of um, England's preparation for this is they actually built a lot of psychiatric hospitals and psychiatric mm-hmm. places where people could go when they have these mental breaks because they knew the Blitz was coming, which was this huge carpet bombing campaign by the Germans. And um, they knew this was coming and they thought that their population was going to break down. They wouldn't be able to handle it. Um, they actually hesitated to build bomb shelters because they were worried that people would go into the shelters and they would never come out again. Oh, wow. Um, What they actually found happened is the people who lived in London, and London was essentially flattened during the Blitz. The people who lived in London, psychologically, they did fine. 
it was the people who lived outside of London who actually weren't part of the bombing, but they heard the stories mm. and they weren't there firsthand. And as Which part, is surprising. Yeah, yeah. Some I, I think there's some really interesting data that comes out of this. They also sent away as many children as they could to go live with families uh-huh. in the country. And those children who were sent away, who didn't see bombs falling, who didn't live through fires and um, things like that, um, those children fared worse than the children who were in London. Because they were separated from their families? They were separated from their families. And also that um, kind of that concept of something awful just happened and we collectively are responding to this. Mm. You know, so I've heard accounts of people in the shelter standing shoulder to shoulder and there's sewage on the floor because people need to get crammed in and they spend the night that way. And then in the morning, they unpack the shelters, they clean up what they need to, they put out the fires and everybody goes back to work. Mm. Um, And they come back night after night while the blitz is happening. But there was a community that was aware of and responding to what was happening. So there was a sense of us, a sense of we are going through this and we all know it and Mm -hmm. we're all feeling it together Mm -hmm. versus I am going through this. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a secret to to anybody and even um, other accounts that I've, I've heard about this, they didn't have formal laws or rules in the bomb shelters. Um, but these communities under great stress, um, they said within like a night or two in the shelters, these informal rules had been put in place that kept it safe for everybody. Mm. Um, the police thought that there were going to be lots of uh, rioting and looting and things like that. Um, the police force essentially got to be a rescue force in London mm. during the Blitz because everybody was focused on surviving together. Hmm. Um, and they maybe this is going too far into this, but they actually think that's part of where England's penchant for socialization of services comes from. Is oh, during okay. this time where we were under attack and under siege, we learned how to pull together and we learned the importance of a community there. Interesting. Um, so I say all that to say, I think one of the reasons why little T traumas have such a big impact on us is because it may not be enough to disrupt our life so much that it causes yeah. our families or ourselves to pause and say, hey, I've got to address something here. Well, and, and that's, as you were saying, for the people outside of London or the people who, you know, the children who were shipped off to someplace safe, um, they were either hearing about it mm-hmm. or they knew that it was happening, but they didn't know their role in it. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't know how to be part of that and mm-hmm. didn't maybe know how to process it. Yeah, they didn't have a story that involved them. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a big, awful thing that happened that nobody could touch, nobody could talk about. Okay. Um, and I think in families, when those little T traumas happen, we, we've said before several times on the podcast, with trauma, it's not so much about what happened, it's about what happened after what happened. Uh-huh. And if you start to imagine the accumulated effect of these little things going wrong or these little things being hurtful and never being addressed, what does that start to tell you about yourself? Well, and and because you and I have worked with people before who will say, you know, maybe I was sexually abused as a trauma or I had this trauma as a child, but within a, you know, within a year, I had told my parents, my parents got me help. Mm -hmm. My parents were talking to me about it. I had the support. My parents talked to my school teacher who was aware of what I was dealing with Right. Like, and, and so they had a big T trauma, Mm -hmm. but what happened after the trauma was that they had this rallying force Mm -hmm. that came in and said, thank you for telling us we're here for you. How can we get you the help that you need? Mm -hmm. Right. And when a client who's coming in, maybe as an adult with some trauma that didn't get processed, but they're telling me that I'm thinking, 
that that may come up in our work together, but that's not that's not unresolved trauma for this person. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's so much that happens in families and communities that's so little and you know, there's only so much bandwidth in the day to address things. Right. I I think those little T traumas and this is borne out in the research, a handful of little T traumas can have a bigger impact on a person's life than one, one or two yeah. huge traumas. Yeah. Well, and, and so when we have family rules that say, you know, what happens in the family stays in the family, and we present this cleaned up front to the rest of the world, mm-hmm. you know, certain family rules like that are going to impact the mm-hmm. little T traumas. Mm-hmm. Because I would say with that rule, um, maybe that's a... Maybe that's a rule that could play out if things were actually addressed. But I think when that's a rule in a family, what happens in the family stays in the family. That means that we clean and polish this up as fast as possible. It's not actually dealt with. Well, and and I will say, because that was one of the rules in my family, not necessarily spoken. I mean, it may have been a spoken few times, but it was much more just we understood it, Mm -hmm. right? That we had to put Mm -hmm. a certain facade out there to the rest of the world. And... And it's not like we even talked about it in our family. Yeah. Right? Like, it's not like what happens in our family stays in our family, and we talk about it, and we process it, and we look at it. We didn't do that. Mm -hmm. Right? So I know for me, one of the lingering effects of the trauma that I lived with in my family of origin is, A, I will say I became very observant, and I'm also one of the memory keepers in my family. Mm. Um, and so I knew a lot of what hap- was happening, and I was very observant. And so I noticed kind of the subtleties of what was happening in the family. And I remember them. But I couldn't talk about them. Mm-hmm. Right? So I had all of this information, and it just had to stay with me. Yeah. And so that's still something. Like, I can notice with somebody else that, you know, maybe they're having a bad day or they seem sad. And my tendency is to notice that and say nothing about it, Mm -hmm. which doesn't make me relational if I follow that rule, Mm -hmm. right? It's just like, I notice that. Oh my gosh, I shouldn't notice that. I'll let let them think that I didn't notice it, Mm -hmm. right? And then I have to be like, you can just say, hey, you look sad or hey, you look tired. They don't have to unpack the whole story for me, Yeah. right? They can just say, yeah, I'm struggling. And I can just say, I'm sorry you're dealing with that, right? And I have to remind myself that because, again, that rule got set for me mm-hmm. that I can't help but notice. Well, I sometimes I'm not very noticeable. And I think sometimes I'm just trying to, you know, create a blind spot because I don't know what to do with what I notice. Um, but that that rule is there that if you notice it, do not talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say little things like that get reinforced over and over again in families. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been lately. I've been looking a lot about at my relationship with money because, gosh darn it, that's still not right. <laughs> it's still not where it needs to be. And it's January, and we gear up for taxes, and right. so January right. is money issue time. I almost had a panic attack last <laughs> week because I needed to gather all my tax stuff. Um, But one of the things that I've been realizing about that, I think one of those little T trauma and one of those little rules that's come along, I always heard my parents talk about how there wasn't going to be enough and this is as far as we could go with the money. I never heard anything about what was coming in. Mm. Um, And I've realized in my own like world concept of how money works, it's this finite resource with no input and there's Mm. only output. Mm. Um, And that's something that lately I've had to be reminding myself like there's more coming. 
Right. And There's a steady stream coming mm-hmm. in, so that makes our resources not finite. Mm-hmm. And and that like things like money are so powerful; they have such an impact on our lives. That rule has translated into a lot of areas for me. Like mm. time is the same way. Mm. What time do I have, and how is that going to be spent? And once it's gone, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think even like good times in relationships. I tend to be one of those people that when we get into a good window. I just want to step back and take my hands off and like mm-hmm. never touch that again because I might ruin it. And what's to guarantee that something like that is going to come again? Mm. Um, and so we have those little things like, again, a, a stress conversation between parents about money isn't necessarily a life altering thing. Right. Um, but when that happens over and over with no consideration for how are the little ears hearing this uh-huh. affected by this? And what context do we right. need to give them to understand well, this? Well, and, and to add to that, to recognize that when we're young, our world is shaping itself so much, more, much more so than when we're older, mm-hmm. right? Because cause we're young and we're trying to figure out how this world works, right? Mm-hmm. And so while we're still egocentric, we're pulling in all this information and our brain's trying to put it together to shape and to mold our worldview, mm-hmm. which is a recipe for disaster oftentimes, right? Because yeah. we're taking in information we don't understand, but we're hearing snippets and our parents will talk about things in front of us because they know that we don't get it. Yeah. But we're taking in that info and we're trying to make sense of it because it's there. You know, that's, that's a, I think a really big source of trauma for a lot of kids is um, not so much about what happened or what didn't happen, but how they interpret their world. Mm-hmm. Kids do that in really screwy ways. Right. And that, again, I think there's some of that little T trauma as a parent who doesn't um, check in with their kid. Hey, what's going on for you? And what are you thinking about? Is that a neglectful, abusive parent? No. Mm-hmm. But when that's a chronic thing, mm-hmm. that kid is left to their own devices mm-hmm. to figure out this world that they are small in and that they are powerless right. in. Or, or if that kid overheard something, but... The unspoken rule, maybe the spoken rule is, I can't let them know I heard that. Mm -hmm. Or if I say, hey, when you were saying this, what does that mean? And then they'll get mad at me Mm -hmm. or dismiss me and just say, oh, it doesn't matter. Or that's not relevant for you. That then I'm left with my own interpretation and Mm -hmm. it goes uncorrected. It goes not put into a context in which is healthy for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I think some other areas where I commonly see those little T traumas um, living and festering people, uh, there's also a lot around food Mm -hmm. um, that I'll see with people. It's amazing when I hear people's stories, what role food plays Uh in their family story. Well, so often food becomes the comfort that the parents didn't know how to give. Mm -hmm. Um, Or it becomes the source of control that we don't have in any other place in our life. Yeah. So you can have the families that... Um, food is our source of comfort and that's our comfort currency or you can have the families where everything else is out of control and so how we control is to restrict food and and the flow of nutrition yeah and and i will often ask clients questions about you know what how did your family handle food Mm -hmm. and i'll just say that it's pretty generic net that i'm casting because i don't want to shape it too Mm -hmm. much um And so I'll just kind of ask a question like that that's pretty broad and see what comes back. Mm -hmm. I also want to know how were mealtimes handled in your Mm -hmm. family, right? What was, how often 
you know, did you have treats? Or, like, what did special occasions look like and how was the food around that, right? Mm -hmm. There's a whole lot that we can get about what it felt like as a child to live in that family when we start discussing food. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the way that meals were prepared and the way that they were presented communicates a lot to a kid about how they are cared for in their position in the family. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as we get into those little T traumas, there's almost, like, you can't slice it thin enough mm-hmm. in the messages that are going back and forth in those exchanges. And just to make a plug here on the food issues, this isn't what our topic is about, but you know that when you get into a lot of diets, I mean, one of the first things they'll say is you've got to purge the house, uh-huh. which may be helpful. You know, I mean, although we know that dieting's a lot of time just doesn't work, but it may be helpful to, you know, if you want to eat healthier, you need to get rid of unhealthy food in the house. Mm-hmm. But you could be recreating this whole family dynamic mm-hmm. of scarcity, of rigidness, right? Maybe maybe finances weren't um, scarce, but maybe mom had her own issues with food or dad mm-hmm. had his own issues with food. And so there was never any comfort food. There was never mm-hmm. any like... This is available. We're not going to misuse it, Mm -hmm. but it's here in our house and we can have it, right? And so all of a sudden you've gone on this diet that got very restrictive and we've recreated Mm -hmm. this whole emotional state. I would say those, um, not specific to food necessarily, but anytime you get in this, like, this is a completely different emotional state than when I was in before and this is a different headspace, there's Mm -hmm. probably a little T trauma underneath that there's a whole history around that issue this feels familiar to me right um so let's talk about some of the ways that we start to heal from those little t traumas okay um as i was uh thinking about this episode that uh you see this in a lot of public places now public transit like stadiums and Mm -hmm. airports um that if you see something say something Mm -hmm. um for me, I think that is one of the most surefire ways that we start to get resilient from mm-hmm. this trauma and we start to heal is that, um, you know, like you were talking before, seeing things and not saying anything, just getting in the habit of when I'm seeing something or I'm feeling something or I'm wondering something, I check that out with somebody that I feel safe with. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's, an, and again, and you're not trying to make it a bigger deal than it is. Mm-hmm. Which is a lot of the feedback you'll get from people who went that through that with you. Yes. But you're just trying to acknowledge. Like, it can be as big or as little as it is. Mm-hmm. I'm just noticing that you seem stressed, or I'm just noticing mm-hmm. that you, you feel off, mm-hmm. right? Again, we don't have to unpack that with somebody, but it is important to be seen. Mm-hmm. It is important that we are noticed by mm-hmm. people close to us. That, in um, couples that I work with, I think that is one of the biggest factors that either makes or breaks a coupleship. Um, as they're working on healing their marriage or just learning how to be closer together as they have to talk to each other, um, if not real time, like that day mm-hmm. about what happened for them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's about what happened out in my world. And I need to talk to you about it because when I come back here, this is my safe haven from that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's those little burrs that get under our saddles with our partner mm-hmm. that we need to say, hey, I need to I need to get this out there before this turns into a full-fledged resentment. Yeah. Um, and kind of getting that space to um, to kind of purge what's in us 
And I think when we do that regularly, it's not this toxic sludge that we put all over our partner. It's not this end of the week dump that now sets the course of the weekend that we're going to be miserable. Right. Um, but it's just kind of that daily exercising sharing. of our voice and yeah. our sharing. And and for me, having older kids, sometimes that's harder to do in real time or in close to real time. Mm-hmm. Just the nature of, you know, we're busy. We've got six schedules um, there's a lot going on, but I will tell couples then bookmark it, mm-hmm. right? Saying to your partner, hey, there's something I would like to talk to you about. I'm just wanting to share my internal world mm-hmm. with you. I want to share what's happening for me inside. Um, and and so I just, I know we're busy or I know now is not a good time, mm-hmm. um, but I need to let you know that I've got something, right? And And then I think it's important for the partner because realistically, I think sometimes this, phase of life can be busy and two or three days could go by and just saying, Hey, I am remembering that you bookmarked Mm -hmm. this, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe this weekend we could like go away or Mm -hmm. I I mean, maybe that's go on a drive, right. Mm -hmm. Where we can leave to have uninterrupted time. Mm -hmm. But I just am letting you know, I haven't forgotten. I remember that you said this and this is important to me too. Right, yeah. And that can work and that can buy us the extra time that maybe sometimes we realistically don't have in our life that week. Yeah. Um, I think another part of that resilience to those kind of traumas um, is physical activity and getting into mm-hmm. our bodies. Um, mm-hmm. I think as Patrick Carnes uses the example of the purpose the Olympics served in ancient mm. Greece, um, it you know, if you read the history, it was a time where people came together and look at what the human form could do. But really what it was is preparing them for times of stress and preparing Mm -hmm. them for times of war. And the things that they did in the Olympics, the wrestling, the javelin throwing, um, track and field events, those were all things that you would see on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. Um, And so having some kind of routine in your life where you are um, using your body, exercising your body, there's a couple things that that does. Um, it will discharge that stressful energy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that may be enough with those little T traumas. Like we just need somewhere for that to go. Um, And the other thing that it does is it starts to build stress resilience Mm -hmm. in your body. Because we know trauma is not just a mental thing. It's a body thing Mm -hmm. too. And working on that capacity and being able to lean into discomfort Mm -hmm. in your body can Mm -hmm. help. Which then again, going along with the emotional things, I I know for me, I know for a lot of my clients, when they'll start to exercise regularly, um, they feel stronger, Mm -hmm. both physically and mentally, Mm -hmm. right? The confidence increases. Mm -hmm. So I I think exercise is a good thing. Now, I want to talk a little bit too, just about sometimes it's not full on exercise, right? But in that moment, like sometimes something can happen. Let's say somebody makes a comment or something happens in a work meeting or whatever, right? And all of a sudden you find yourself with your shoulders kind of hunching. Mm-hmm. You've all of a sudden felt shame. You're getting small in your body, right? Mm-hmm. For me, one of those things, when that happens for me, I get really still, mm-hmm. which given my family history, it makes sense to me. But I get really still almost frozen. Yeah. Right? I've got to start shifting. Mm-hmm. Like whether that's just moving my shoulders, um, not, I'm not going to do a full on stretch in certain places, right? But just, I, again, checking in with my posture. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'll just like get up and reach for something, mm-hmm. right? And it's not so much that I needed that. 
I needed the reach more than I did whatever I grabbed, right? Yeah. And so you can do it in ways that it doesn't, nobody else may know that what's happening for you. But rather than responding in a way in which your body almost gets in this frozen, very still space, let that energy move in your body. So mm -hmm. inviting in some organic movement. Mm -hmm. I always think of that as expanding into your body. Yes. And that space there. And adding to that, do that with the breathing too. Because mm -hmm. generally, if you tune into the breathing, the breathing has gotten shallow mm -hmm. and it's very superficial. Mm -hmm. or, or it's at the surface. So again, letting your breathing expand into your whole body and then letting the movement yeah. fill your space. Yeah. Um, another point that I'd bring up in helping with those little T-traumas, um, talking to people about your story. Mm -hmm. um, and they're... Like some of the times that I felt have been most healing in my family of origin um, have been when most of the time it's a sibling or two. Like mm. we haven't gotten to the point where all eight of us can do that together mm -hmm. yet. Um, but a sibling or two are just talking about what it was like for them um, growing up. And we're not in that like, well, let me trump your story mode or that didn't happen. Uh -huh. But just listening. Um, I've experienced that too when I've been in the rooms of recovery and heard people talk about their families and where they mm -hmm. came from and how that impacted them. Um, just hearing that, it kind of, for me, it kind of brings that sense of I'm not alone in this. Mm -hmm. And There's community. Yeah, yeah. There's another room full of people who every morning, just like me, they dig themselves out and they go to work. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that's pretty key in being able to heal from that and being able to become resilient to that is to know that you're not alone in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think this is, well, we still have some time if we want to go someplace else with this, but this, this also feels like a natural yeah, pause. I, I, where can't you think of a, I can't think of anything else I want to say. So. Okay. So next week we'll be back talking about big T traumas. We've alluded mm -hmm. to big T traumas and talking about the nuances with big T traumas. And just a reminder, um, the Worth Recovery event, the mm -hmm. Courage Conference, mm -hmm. that uh, we're, we're speaking about Family Awards and stuff there, it's coming up soon. So if this episode piqued your interest, please go to worthrecovery.com slash events and sign up. Register. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I'm learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to, re to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.